0: I'm starting a new series, and I'm prepared for it to be kind of quiet. So I'm, I'm going to teach a little bit differently today, probably going to slow down a little bit. This has uh, take me a while to get through this series. So the series is, how I just want to ask you a question, how's your love life? I'm not talking about your romantic life. I mean, how are you treating other people? That's a question. So uh, today is uh, five things we need to know about love, and I just want to go there for a while. Now, you know the Apostle Paul uh, several places First um, Corinthians three Hebrews five. Uh, he talks about the milk, drinking milk believers drinking like babies drinking milk, or he's talking about people who grow up a little bit and they're able to meet, eat a little bit of meat with their diet. You know your children are that way, and uh, and so lots of times we think that the meat of the word is when you're talking about faith and you talk about miracles and really the meat of the word. Meat meaning it's a little more challenging to digest, and it kind of hits you right between the eyes, is really the love of God. How are you doing loving other people who aren't like you? So we're going to examine that in this series. I know that, uh, that, uh, that created a rousing response, as I thought it would. But I want to read something. Isn't it amazing that you read the Bible and things that were written 2,000 years ago? It's like they were written yesterday, that's it, it, nobody could do that but the Holy Spirit so uh yesterday I was preparing and this wasn't in my notes but it came kept coming to my mind a uh, message paraphrase of second corinthians chapter three and i've noticed that people are mentioning second Corinthians chapter three a lot these days on social media and other things i just notice i keep seeing this one little uh these five scriptures they keep showing up and i think god's trying to say something to all of us second uh Second Timothy, Timothy was a young minister. The Apostle Paul was, uh, was encouraging in ministry. Second Timothy, uh, Paul was just about to give his life for Jesus, and he was in prison, uh, but the prison didn't get inside of him, and he was always encouraging. So he had talked to Timothy, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit spoke through the Apostle Paul, and it's uncannily, in a surreal way, it so applies to today. The message paraphrase is quite biting, so I want to read that. And Eugene Peterson from that paraphrase says this of 2 Timothy 3, Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contentious of parents, crude, coarse. Does that sound like today or not? Dog-eat-dog. I mean, always at each other. Unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. Wow. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, their animals steer clear of these people. Now, doesn't that sound like Today. Incredibly so. So outside the doors of this building, you know, our culture has been undergoing some huge changes over the last number of years, and they are not good changes as a culture. American culture has been moving away from the Judeo-Christian ethic that made us great. And, and the principles of relating to each other, which, which get, gave us a solidity as a nation, we've been moving away from that. And what God wants to do is show our nation through the people here, the believers here, how to treat each other. How many could agree with that? Another thing just to be aware of is that, uh, you know, our culture, and now, you know, politically, socially, it's as bad as I've ever seen it. Would you agree with that statement? And I've been living for a few years, so, you know, historically, if you go through um, the, the books particularly of the New Testament, any, um, uh, where, whatever was in the culture of, of the books of the New Testament, whatever culture that book was written to, whatever church that book was written to, the culture in Philippi, the, the culture in, uh, in Ephesus where Timothy was, the uh, culture in Corinth. There's always, there was always the temptation for the church instead of instead of changing the culture to become like the culture. Now, how many know that's never the plan of God? And so all of us, why is that? We all have outward pressure when we leave the doors of this building to, to uh, you know, just become like and to absorb the ideals, the attitudes, the behavior, the verbiage, uh, the way of living of the people around us when we go to work when we're at leisure when we're doing things when we're watching things on television or on the internet uh... The, the temptation is strong temptation is instead of challenging it and changing it thinking well that's okay and that's how the downward spiral occurs in every culture how many hear what i'm saying so uh... it's really strong today so second timothy three is just parallels what we're facing uh, which I was thinking about that in Matthew 24 again. Uh, message paraphrase Eugene Peterson. Here's Jesus talking about to his disciples, they ask questions about what the world would be like just before Jesus' return, uh, and Jesus said, among other things, jump right in verse 12. Many other for many others, the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in, nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. Now, when he said it that way, that that got my attention, because now the way people treat one another, um, you know, there's a word that nobody ever uses, it's called vitriolic, and the root of that word means from the spleen. The idea is bitter words, bitter actions, bitter reactions. Two dogs fighting, you get the idea? That's the way our culture has become. People say things on social media that they would never say to someone's face. Is that true? Oh my goodness, never seen such a day. And now you know we've got a rise in suicide because people are taking the things that the others say about them or the inferences that are made, taking it so personally personally that they're so challenged that the suicide rates even increased today. So when I read this, nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. And it's not too difficult getting involved with what's going on in our culture to think, I'm done with all this, just... I ain't talking to nobody. I'm just going in my house, and I'm just going to do my stuff. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to make the money I need to make to pay my bills. I'm going to cut my grass. I'm going to trim my hedges. I'm going to clean my house. I'm going to clean my bathroom on occasion. And I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to leave everybody alone. That is not the will of God. No, God's will is that we turn it around and we affect our culture. And the cool thing is, He has given us a way to do it. Romans five five. hope does not disappoint the love of god is shed abroad in our heart placed inside of us by the holy spirit god has given us a supernatural way to live and a supernatural supernatural meaning above the natural ability of a way to meet and relate and help other people how many hear me and instead of of uh, of, of agreeing with our culture god wants to help us to help change our culture how many agree with that so one of the uh, uh, New Testament authors I love to read after it is is John. John is the beloved apostle. Uh, he said of himself, "The disciple whom Jesus loved." And if Jesus loved him more, it's only because he loved Jesus more, huh? Because there's no respect of persons with God. So he's called the uh, the apostle of love. And through all my Bible college days, we had courses about the apostle John and you know his history and. You know, what traditions have said about him and such. And, and uh, John was the apostle that loved. And most of the apostles that uh, walked with Jesus those three and a half years, most all of them uh, died a terrible martyr's death, with the exception of the apostle John. And tradition says they tried to kill him and couldn't. In fact, tradition says, now I can't figure out how in the world they did this, sounds pretty rank to me. But uh, they they got a got a vat of oil, and got it boiling. I guess they were going to have a big fish fry. But he was the fish, and they put it in it him in it. But it couldn't kill him. It. it didn't kill him. He wouldn't die. Why? Because the love of God so oozed from him. Tradition says that it kept all of that from hindering his natural life. Amazingly amazingly, he was banished to the Isle of Patmos where crim, uh, government criminals were placed. And even there, Jesus appeared to him. And even there, from his heart of love, he gave us the book of Revelation, what will occur just before Jesus comes back the second time. And he died as an elderly man. And, and so, in 1 first John first John was written by the Apostle John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And um, he was an elderly man when he wrote this I and mean, when you read his writings according to what translation you read he say, my little children my little children he's so loved and when you were around him you could tell that he had been with Jesus because of the love that exuded from him one of my uh, uh, passage I love to read and I want to read can we just take some time to read the Bible today go to first John chapter 4 this is New Living Translation I just want to start with verse 7 dear friends let us continue notice what he says as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Then he begins to, you know, just point in a little bit further. He said, no one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And then he says, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. Isn't it amazing that we can go through life with God living in us? That's why he said in 1 John 4, 4, before we got here, "'You are of God, little children, and have overcome them.'" That is all of the cultural trends. "'Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world.'" How many know He's in you? Everybody say, He's in you, in me. (laughs) "'Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world.'" All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, they live in God. Then verse 16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. Now that's that's a different way of thinking. He says, I know God loves me tremendously and the inference is, regardless of how I act, what I do, He just loves me. And then he says, and we have put our trust in his love. Now, there's two ways to look at that. You can put your trust in God's love that regardless of where you mess up, He it's not going to keep him from loving you. Is that good news? But then can you trust that the love of God is the best way to treat other people? That's the other nuance to that. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment because uh, we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows we have not fully experienced this perfect love. We love each other because He loved us first. If someone, here's the kicker, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, he didn't mince words, that person is a liar. Whoa. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. He's not even talking about people that don't know the Lord there. He said, if you love God, love the people that say they love God too. And how many know churches are known for splits? Seems like we hadn't been uh, listening to what he said as as, clearly as we should. Is it true? But I believe God's working in the church today. How many believe that? And so he says, if you love God, love the people that say they love God just like God loves you. So this love, and I'll talk about this in another session. It'll take me a while to get through this. But this love is a different love than, than normal, natural, human love. Normal, natural human love is self-centered. How many know that's true? Natural human love can turn to hate if it doesn't get its way. In fact, you've heard this before, but anytime there's a homicide anywhere in the world, where's the first place they look? They look at family. They look at people that knew the person. Why? Because human love is self-centered, and if it doesn't get its way, it turns it turns to anger. It turns vitriolic, bitter. And it, could turn, to, it turn, could turn to murder. So that differentiates human love. Again, human love is selfish. But God's love, there are two words that describe it. The first one is unconditional. Everybody say, unconditional. What does that mean? Unconditional? There's nothing that I need to do to be loved by God. If I am alive, He loves me. Even after death, He loves you. Wherever you go, heaven or hell, He still loves you. Isn't that something to think about? Unconditionally, there are no conditions to be met for God to love me. How many have the experience that I had? When you used His name as an expletive, He still loved you. We love Him because He first loved us, right? Right? And when we were dead in sins, Paul said Christ died for us. Even when we were doing all the wrong things, God didn't turn His eyebrows up and look the other way and roll His eyes and there they are you No, He loved you. He loved you regardless of where, what you did. So unconditional. It's rare that you find a person that has experienced unconditional love. Even as parents, Susan and I have four children, now four grandchildren, soon to be five But you know what? I have to admit, many times the love that I had towards my children, it was conditional. It was based on them obeying this, based on them doing this or obeying my voice or, you know, fulfilling this obligation or doing this at school or or in some way. But how many know God loves us even when we fail? Can I love other people when they fail me? Gets quiet here, doesn't it? Unconditional. Secondly, God's love is self-sacrificial. What does self-sacrificial mean? That means God's love puts itself itself last and puts others first. Human love, self is in the center. Human love has self at the center. God's love has God at the center. So think about it that way. Self-sacrificial. In God's love, what another person thinks, what another person needs, another person's opinion, watch this, is more important than my own. Now, it's quiet because you're thinking. Yesterday, I was preparing this, and it came on me all of a sudden, like, it's going to be quiet when you're talking to myself. So now I've got some shoes so I can step on my own toes today. Is that okay? I started to maybe put out a, put some, my dad used to have steel-toed shoes. Remember that, Mom? I think I need some today. Nonetheless, this love will change you. When I when I first came to Jesus, I was almost 18. I'd been to church all my life. But y'all, I had never experienced nor understood. I experienced to a small degree unconditional love, but I didn't understand it. When I began to understand this kind of love, it changed who I am and how I relate to other people. Now it's over, over 40 years. Two years ago I'm into my 43rd year in Jesus and I still feel like I've got only that far in love and I got so far to go but it's changed who I am as a person so I got a question how's your love life? You know years ago and I think, was it in the 70s Tina Turner sang a song y'all remember that what's love got to do with it got to do with it? What's love got to do with your life everything? How I many yeah, of that's true? So love is the central theme of everything in God that you, that you hold dear. There is no spiritual growth without growth in love. You may grow in knowledge. You can take Bible courses. You can take Bible studies. Bible studies are really popular today because of the Internet. And you can find all kinds of great little studies. You know, we got that right now media. If you become a part of Victory Church, you have uh, free access to a, 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 thousands and thousands of Bible studies on video. And uh, that's, Bible studies are really popular. How many know you can know the Word backwards and forwards, but if you don't walk in love, it does no good? huh? So, so my knowledge of the Bible, let me say this. I mean, I just started just as a young man. I didn't want to be deceived. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. They were talking about me being able to quote Scripture, and I can. And, uh, but, you know, I could stand here a long time and quote a lot of scripture. In fact, uh, you know, in my meditation times, I, I sometimes just don't even open my Bible and I have scripture that I just, just comes up inside me. And I could, I could go for a long period of time, perhaps um, a few hours, quoting scripture, I sometimes whole chapters verbatim. But did you know that doesn't make me a spiritual person? Mm-mm-mm. No, spirituality is not equated with knowledge. Spirituality is only equated with love and the test as to whether or not I'm growing spiritually is how am I treating the people around me do I love them more than I did do I put take myself out of the center of my world and I put Jesus in the center of my world and when I'm having a conversation when we're uh, when we're in the office and we have a team meeting or when I'm at home and you're with your spouse or with your spouse your children or you're with your friends Does this conversation revolve around what you think and what you like? Or do you let the conversation be about other people and what they like? And do you listen to them with a smile? Or do you smirk and disagree when somebody doesn't agree with your philosophy of life? Well, that's a big deal, isn't it? It's really quiet in here. So five things that we need to know about this love. So we're going to go through this, take a few weeks. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians 13 because it is the best place in the Bible to look at all the nuances of this unusual love as you'll see today at closing. So we're going to talk about that and go into some fair detail. Today, five things we need to know about love. Y'all ready for this? Yeah, y'all awake? Good. Number one, Jesus gave the Jews two commands to love that absorbed the ten. Now, now let me talk about that a minute. That's the first blanks to fill in. Number one, here, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples. A lot of people don't realize the disciples were not saved. The Holy Spirit did not live in them. That side of the cross, the pre-cross, before Jesus went to the cross, I mean, they lived by the Mosaic law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. It was a strict environment. Then beyond that, the religious leaders of the day in that first century before Jesus went to the cross i mean they had added so much to the bible they were they were letter of the law people and that's the way most jews thought that's the way they were trained and uh so so it was really different and uh so the to the jews who were looking at the law there one of the teachers jesus was in a location and the religious people were normally picking on jesus looking to find him uh, contradicting himself. One of the teachers, Matthew twenty-two thirty-five, a lawyer asking question, a question testing him, saying, "Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law?" They were trying to trip him up on his words. Jesus said to him, and this comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. This is uh, what Jesus said to him is called the Shema. S-H-E-M-A, and the Jews recited this regularly, perhaps daily, and they read it to their families regularly. And Jesus said, you shall, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, you know, we could feast on that the rest of the time. We don't have time. But love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What's he saying? All of your motivations. The reason that you do what you do, is it based on the fact that I love God more than my flesh? I love God more than my culture. I love God more than pleasing this person I'm with. I love God more, therefore, I'm going to do this. How many hear me? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He's talking about with all of the interior of your person, all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, your entire willpower, all of the motivations as to why you do what you do. All of that makes up the soul of man. All of your soul is every thought towards God in everything I do, in everything I think in everything I say, in the way I treat other people, even when they're not nice to me. And we all have to say, uh-uh, right? Yeah, sure. All your soul and all your mind are my thoughts continuously and when aberrant thoughts come, do I immediately say, no, I'm not going to muse on that, I'm not going to think on that, I'm going to chuck it out. Or I'm not going to listen to that, I'm not going to read that, my eyes aren't going to see that, because that doesn't honor God. Wow, would well, that change life? Then he said, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The inference is you already love yourself. Now, we've got a lot of psychology to take teaching us how to love ourselves. You do love you. I pro- you do Now, you might be mad at you. And you might be mad at people that have hurt you, but you love you. Just give me a hammer and let me hit your finger. I'll find out you love you. I'm not going to do that. On these two hang all of the law... And all of the prophets. So again, if you love the Lord your God with everything inside and love others and put them before yourself, you're not going to break any law. That was created to curb the appetite for sin in the human person, and that's the reason that the Ten Commandments came. Romans thirteen, the Apostle Paul probably remembering, and he was probably uh, talked to by some of the other apostles, and they and they told him what Jesus had taught them, and and uh, it came right to him, and he said this in Romans thirteen eight: owe nothing to anyone. Except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you'll not commit adultery, you must not murder, steal, must not covet these. And such commandments are summed up in the one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this last part. Love does no wrong to others. King James, New King James, love works no ill to his neighbor. So love fulfilled the requirements of the law. I've said a long time over the years, love works no ill. Love does no wrong to others. See, if you apply that to you, how do you treat other people? Really more pointedly, how do I treat people who live on a different page of life than I do? who don't have the attitudes, the lifestyle I have, who don't value the things that I value, who actually ridicule the things that I happen to like. Do I still treat them nicely? Do I step across the way? If I see them in the grocery store, so I'm gonna walk over here to the side. Oh, I forgot, i need some bread. So I don't have to go past them on the aisle. No, no. Love does no wrong to others. How do I treat other people? That's a big question. How many know if I do no wrong to others, if I own a business, I'm not going to overcharge to pad my pocket at the expense of really treating them unfairly because I, I could do this differently, right? That went over big. Is that true? Or or if I own a business or work for a firm, I'm not going to allow myself to, to sign contracts and enter into things with other people. And I know full well the small print is not probably going to be read by them, and it's going to get them in trouble. And they're going to pay more than they they really thought they would pay. They're not going to read the fine print anyway, so I can snow them so my company can make the money. How many know that's doing wrong to your neighbor? How many know if you walk in love, it changes how you do business. It changes how you conduct yourself in the office. It demands that you be upfront, fair, and equitable to every person all the time. Our world doesn't live that way. Is it true? If love does no ill to its neighbor, that means obviously anything, any words that I say that people will remember, those words will never hurt them, never harm them. Never make them feel badly about themselves or about life in some way. That means I have to watch what I say and then my actions towards that person. If I really love, they're not going to do anything that brings harm to that person. So, so for instance, I'm not going to do 95 miles an hour on 440 Beltline and zig, zigzag in and out of traffic. Hello? Do you ever see that? So that's a person bent on themselves. Or, or I was just getting gassed the other day. Hey! The music was blaring, and it was about four cars away. Do you want me to do that again? Do you like that? And I'm thinking, you know what I thought? I didn't say I just looked. Now, you know, it is a judgment, but I think it was correct. This guy said on himself. He wants everybody to hear what he's hearing. 'Cause he thinks it's cool. But see what I you know what I thought? I almost went and talked to him. He's in the center of his world. He's not thinking about me or anybody else. Maybe we don't want to hear your stupid music. See, that's my opinion, right? I have to deal with that. But you know, I prayed for the guy, I said, Father, lead this young man to Jesus. And if God had led me, I'd have walked right over there and probably talked to him and probably had to have repented at the time. How I many hear what I'm saying? Number two, let's keep going. Jesus, number two, Jesus gave believers a new commandment, which if obeyed fulfills all other commands. So he talked to the Jews before the cross he talked to the believers after uh, just before he went to the cross those that would be Christians he said a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I've loved you that you also love one another by this all will know all will know that you're my disciples not by the bible knowledge you have not by how much you attend church not even how much you volunteer in church the only way they'll know you're a believer is your love Do you love them when they're not worthy of love? Do you love them when they don't act in loving ways? Do you love them when they don't reciprocate kindness? They're mad, they're venomous, they're angry, they're hurt. Do you love them anyway? Number three, love cures strife and keeps the dark kingdom out of your life. I'm convinced that some people are constantly challenged by demonic forces and hence they constantly live in a state of melancholy and aggravation and oppression and depression and all this kind of stuff yes there can be physical causes for for human problems, that's absolutely true. How many know there are also spiritual reasons for human problems? There are also demonic reasons for human problems. And the bottom line is if I allow myself to get involved in sh- any kind of strife whatsoever, I'm basically in the spirit realm opening up a door for the enemy and I'm saying, come on in with your demon spirits and come and inhabit the ap- atmosphere of my, of my life, wherever I am, come and occupy the atmosphere of of my office, come and occupy the atmosphere of my home. James three, I'll just read one translation. I've got a couple in my in my notes here. If you have James three fourteen, if you have bitter envy and self seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self seeking and that's what New King James calls strife, where envy and self-seeking or strife exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. Let me just tell you straight up. Somebody at now, somebody on our staff team, if they got into strife and they keep strife, I fire them. That went over big. Why? If you're going to let that in, you're not going to come in where I am. If somebody on our, our dream team we can talk to them several times, but you know, strike three in, I'll talk. But if you've got a mouth that hurts other people, that is offensive, and, and you've got a tongue that wags and says things that should not be said about someone uh, in their absence, guess what? You're off the team. Why? Because where envy and strife is, demonic things are there. And I won't let that happen here. How many hear that? Well, that went over real big, didn't it? Oh my. Wow. So, you know, oxygen fuels fire. When I was a little boy, we, we, uh, we burned our garden off, and sometimes we had lots of limbs and other debris. And sometimes we would make a huge fire. My father would we'd get a... I mean, it was taller than, uh, you know, probably six feet, seven feet tall, all this debris. We'd pour a little bit of kerosene on the bottom. And man, it was a raging inferno. It was incredible. I loved to watch it as a kid. Fire. But what fuels fire? Oxygen. Or better yet, you know, you got those little, uh, those little candles in the jars and they got a lid. You can buy them at some stores. And now they, they, uh, they got some really sweet ones that are supposed to be really healthy for you, you know. But still, you got a little candle in a jar. You light the candle, you know, and it smells up your house. Don't you like those? What happens when you put the top on? Why does it go out? It's oxygen starved. So what happens when you refuse to let strife in your life? Demonic forces leave the peace of God comes. Hmm. First Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul said this, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like average, ordinary men or people? Envy, strife, division. He said, are you not flesh ruled? You're not motivated by the Holy Spirit when there's envy. You want what other people have. You want the position that they have. You wish you could do what they do. They can do it better than you and you're upset about that. That's envy. Strife. Strife is self-seeking. Well, they don't, they think they know what they're doing. They think they're such a great, look at them. They need to shut up. They need to leave. Strife, divisions. Do you hear what so-and-so said the other day? Do you hear what so-and-so did? Did you see them over there at the store the other day? So-and-so, you know what? That's called called divisions. You know what that's motivated from? Not the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, the F-L-E-S-H, the human body, the human person away from God. How many hear me? He said, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? How many know all of us are really sweet when people like us? Most all of us. Some people are never sweet. But you're supposed to love them anyway. Is that true? Well, how many know, How many know? you know, Susan and I have four kids. And now we got four grandchildren. And, and soon Sasha will be born. I'm excited about that. But, you know, our four kids, they were sweet as pudding. When they were first born, you know, we feeding them and holding them and changing their diaper. And, you know, and then uh, and the things are just sweet. And then the day came... When they didn't get their way, that sweet baby turned ugly. Huh? My grandbaby's the same way. They sweet. I think my grandkids are some of the sweetest kids on earth. But you know what I found out? When they don't get their way, they can be beasts too. Huh? And so all of us, the test of love is, can you love people when you don't get your way and when they disagree with you? How many hear what I'm saying? Oh my Philippians two three uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, self seeking, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The next verse I didn't write it in my notes says Look every man look not every man on his own things, man being a generic term for men and women. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That is, put others first. I mentioned first service. 1977, I was taking a class in a Bible school in my hometown. And the class was on marriage and family. And I don't know how this scripture came up, but this scripture came up. And we were talking about marriage, talking about family. And I read that verse. And this verse, you know, is really good. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each, each person esteem others. That means their attitude, their comments as better than themselves and, and just them as people. And then the next verse, verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That is, don't put your own opinion, your own likes and dislikes first. Put other people's opinions, likes and dislikes first, right? Right? I was reading it, and I'm not kidding. I was in the desk, and I was just a couple of years old in the Lord, and I heard. In fact, I was just a little over a year old in the Lord. I heard me. I said, yeah, right here. If you'll do that when you get married, you'll have a great man. I looked at that thing. And he said, let me read that again, because I was a single man was 19 in 1977. I hadn't even met, well, I did meet Susan. I met Susan in 1976, but she wasn't my girlfriend yet. But I thought, well, so if I do that, I'll have a good marriage. Let me read that again. How many know that's the key? Some of us are struggling in our relationships. Some are struggling in their marriage and you're upset with your spouse constantly because you're not getting your way or they're not doing it the way you like for it to be done. Yes or no? When I take me out of the center and put Jesus in the center and always think of helping others before I'm help myself, how many know that cures the problems in life? Love is a relationship problem solver. Yes or no? Ask yourself, in my personal relationships, in my friendships, on the job, with my friends on the job, with my acquaintances, at home specifically with my spouse, do I I put their desires and wishes and thoughts and reasonings above my own? Some people are so headstrong, they want everybody to agree with them and won't let anybody else have a word in. Did you know I can be that way? Do you know God's had to deal with me deeply about all of these things? I went for years in ministry and I thought I was doing a good job until God showed me that I was the center of what was going on and that I was happy here until until somebody did what I didn't like. And he showed me that I needed to change and put him in the center and back myself out and listen to other people. Huh? So what do you do? So there's some people in there and you're struggling with your marriage. You're struggling and you're struggling because... You're not happy. Your need's not getting met. And you deserve for your need to be met. No, we deserve to go to hell. No, no. We don't get what we deserve. God is good all the time. How many hear me? When I take myself out of the center of the equation and look to meet the other person's need first, my own need to get met. How many hear me? Look not every person on his own things. Every person on the things of others. Mighty quiet here. Y'all away? You sure? All right, let's keep moving. Almost done. I'm almost done. Oh, wow. I've got to stop. I got two more. Can you handle it? Jesus introduced the concept of loving your enemies to the disciples. Number four. Now, I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. In fact,. yeah, let me just read this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip because of time. Jesus said verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now, other translations of scripture just leave the rest of this verse out. It's really unusual to me. I like King James and New King James because they don't, because he tells you to love your enemies, which when he said to the disciples, In fact, let's go back again. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, yep, we do a good job of that. I really love my friends and I really hate my enemies. And then he said, but, whoa, what, what? But I say to you, and when he said, love your enemies, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Then he told them how to do it. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully or use you to their advantage as a stepping stone to get what they want. Who spitefully use you and persecute you. The hardest things I've ever done and will ever do in my life is to love people who don't like me. Is that true? To love people who disagree with me. Love people who don't do life the way I do them. God's called me to love them Not chastise them. Sometimes be quiet and listen to them. Hmm? Sometimes to say, well, I humbly disagree. And then when they get venomous, I say, well, God bless you. God bless you. That's okay. I hear what you're saying. I appreciate what you're saying. Right? But then he said, go a step further. Bless those who curse you. Well, God bless you. Well, praise God. How many know that's really hard to do? Would you agree? Oh, man. Do good to those who hate you. You know, I think I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna go buy the I'm gonna go buy the baker I'm gonna buy them the nicest organic cake I can possibly find. I know some of you won't eat cake. I get it. Or the nicest pie, or I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna cook a meal and send it to them. What if you did something? Or you know what I'm going I'm going by X restaurant and I'm gonna get a gift card, you know, for a for seventy five dollars and treat them to a really nice meal. When's the last time you did that for somebody who didn't like you? Don't answer. Bless those who curse you, do good. Is that what he's talking about? Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why'd he say that? Because you want to be mad at them all the time. And you want to give them a good licking with your thoughts and with your attitude, right? Sure you do. Then he's, and, and so I'm going to skip now and read message paraphrase this is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of these verses because you can't miss it listen to what he said you know, Again, love your neighbor, hate your enemy Jesus said I'm challenging that I'm telling you to love your enemies uh, let them bring out the best in you not the worst when someone gives you a hard time respond with the energies of prayer for then you are working out your true selves, your God created selves this is what God does I love this Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. You ever thought about it? Sometimes God places people in your life that you don't like, who aren't on your page in life, who don't think the way you do, don't process life the way you do, who are in a lot of ways sandpaper to who you are and how you live. And he does it on purpose to help you develop in love. So maybe that very person that's got the cubicle next to you when we're at work and you're praying, God, get me out of this. I had a guy when I was a little boy and I got to stop. I'm got to close. When I was a boy, I was 16, 17, 18. Then I came to the Lord and, and, the, um, and this guy, he was the assistant manager of a grocery store. And he was just mean. He was just bad. He, he had big jowls like it. And I called it, we called him bulldog because he had a big hit, just big. Here comes Bulldog, and nobody liked Bulldog. Oh, my goodness. And you know, it was the toughest thing in the world for anybody to like Bulldog, But you know, I was fussing about Bulldog to the Lord one day, and I said, God, I need you to move me out of this position. I need another job, because I can't handle Bulldog. And I heard, as it were, God say, I ain't going to do it. He'll think the way you talk. He'll talk the way you do sometimes. I'm not going to do it. I said, why not? And I knew intuitively you need him in your life Hmm. because he's going to help you change. He's going to challenge you. So think about that most aggravating person. It may right now be your spouse. It may be somebody in your family. It may be somebody on the job. It may be somebody that you know in your neighborhood and their dog's always pooping in your yard. Maybe God's calling you to love them right where they are, just the way they are. But what's he doing? He's tempering you, challenging you. He goes on to say here, this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm, the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good, the bad, the nice, the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run of the mill center does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. The bottom line, Jesus said, the real test of love is not that you greet your friends when you come in the door of church. No, the real test of love is how you treat people who don't treat you back.